Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. we are getting an in-depth conversation about El Refugio Inc., a domestic violence service provider in Silver City, New Mexico. We have Linda Marquez Tolufson, shelter director, and Charlene Fletcher, administrative assistant, on to talk about their program and the work that is happening there. Thank you so much, Linda and Charlene, for meeting with me today about El Refugio. Could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your role with your program? My name is Charlene Fletcher, and I am the administrative assistant for El Refugio. I've been here going on three years in July. It'll be three years. My name is Linda Tollefson. I am now the shelter director. I've been here three years now. I did also work in the shelter for 10 years previously, so I have a lot of firsthand experience of what it is to be a shelter advocate. And then I left the agency for a few years and I did some prevention work in our community. Then the shelter director opened back up and I knew this is where my heart is. I love working with victims and helping survivors of domestic violence. So I decided it was time to come back and and just take on this role. Could you tell us about El Refugio and the services that you provide to your community? Okay, so we're located in Silver City, New Mexico. We are the only domestic violence shelter in Grant and Hidalgo counties in Southern New Mexico. We provide, besides the emergency shelter, we have a 24-hour crisis line. We have DV support groups. We provide advocacy, legal advocacy, community outreach and education. Uh, We also have the DVOTI program. And the rapid rehousing program as well. So we have, as far as our 24-hour crisis line, we have trauma-informed advocates that are always available to answer a call. So we do safety planning. We do shelter intakes in the middle of the night. We'll take information, kind of, you know, make sure the client is safe, and then we will make the necessary referrals. So sometimes a call will come in, and it's not necessarily for shelter. They're just really wanting some resources. So our our advocates that run our crisis line pretty much are trained in whether it's going to be a referral for someone that's dealing with homelessness in our community, if they are dealing with, you know, just needing resources to pay their rent, if they're dealing with any type of basic need, we are trained to be able to answer that call, make the appropriate referrals, and just take care of the client immediately that's on the phone. So that's a big thing that we have. Our emergency shelter, we have a 32-bed space shelter. So we have a really big shelter. And we continued to run throughout the whole pandemic. So we didn't shut down like a lot of shelters had to shut down. We kept our doors open and our staff stayed here and hustled through and we did the best we could to keep each other safe. And we actually made it the whole two and a half. It's been two and a half years without someone in the shelter having COVID. But we had one, I think it was last month. Last month was our first case. <laughs> was our first case. So um, I, that's big kudos to our staff and our clients because we took care of each other. We did all the precautions 
And we really took care of each other when it came to staying safe and healthy in the shelter so that we can continue to house survivors and their children. And then when we finally, when we did end up with the client that did have COVID, it was handled really well and it didn't spread to anyone else. So we were lucky because we were pretty almost full. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whenever we had the one client that ended up with COVID. So that was a big deal for us. Along those lines, I would love to know from both of you, what is some of the work that you're most proud of? Go Go ahead, Charlene. You go and then I'll go. So the the (laughs) thing I was telling Linda is the thing I noticed is that they have housed clients that have left shelter. They have provided permanent housing for them. And the numbers are pretty good on that. Yeah, we're really, we have a successful program when it comes to, while our clients are in shelter, we really focus on their strengths and we try to make sure we set really clear goals on how we can help you become self-sufficient. How can we get you out of this situation to where you can have your own home, you know, um, make your own income, whatever that looks like, whether it's disability, employment, you know, whatever it's, it's geared to really focus in on them and how we can make sure that they can go into permanent housing. So we start working on that immediately within the first seven to 10 days. And because at first, of course, you're just really focusing on safety of the client. But then after that, it's like, how can we get you into permanent housing? And I would say at least 70, 75% of our clients go into permanent housing once they discharge here. And that's that's a big deal. That is the main goal for us is safety. And then also, how can we help our clients become self-sufficient so that they can count on themselves and have the resources they need to provide a safe home for themselves and their children? So I think that's for us in the shelter and in the permanent and the rapid rehousing program, that would be probably our biggest just something we love to brag about that we just really work hard on getting clients into permanent housing. My next question is, how do you think your program is different from other domestic violence programs across the state? I mean, we have amazing programs across the state because we do coordinate with other programs, especially when we're getting clients from one, one place to another. I think that just what I could highlight about our program is that we cover Grant and Hidalgo County. So we're a pretty rural area. So I think for us, sometimes that's a big deal because we really do have to reach out because our area is so rural that there's people that are needing help from Hidalgo. I know for sure our advocates go to Hidalgo a lot to cover that area. So that is something that's a big deal. Our DVOTI program that we have is really successful and a really large program as well. I'm not sure what his numbers are. I should have got that down, but I know that he has really high numbers of success. So we're one of the only state certified DVOTI programs that has such a high success rate like what Mario has. Mario Goss is our our person that runs our DVOTI program. And just for those at home who might not know what DVOTI is, could you elaborate a little bit on what that is? So it's a domestic violence offender treatment intervention services. So we have male and female groups. So our program is a 52-week program that is just intervention on how to change the behaviors, um, you know, how to do better. And Mario just really does really well with that program. Thank you for that. 
Was there anything else that you wanted to add about how El Refugio is unique? Just that all our services are free. We have the 24-7 crisis line. And we just have such an amazing, caring staff that really goes above and beyond to help clients in any way that they can. We also have very active board members that assist us with not only financially, just about everything we need them for. You know, they're always there for us. They always support us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really nice to, to know that we always have them to help us out. Yeah, they'll help with fundraisers. Mm -hmm. They go out in the community and advocate for us when we need them to. We really do have a real good, solid board. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like your program is growing or innovating? Obviously, there's challenges from COVID to just ordinary challenges. How do you feel like that's affected your program and what have you done to grow and innovate? We were actually just talking about this today, Charlene and I. It's been interesting to see how much we've had to learn during COVID, right? So not only learning about how to keep each other healthy, you know, how to keep each other safe, but like some of our our staff members had never used Zoom before. And some of our staff members, you know, we have Rosie, she's been doing child play therapy for probably 28 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And so she had to learn how to use Zoom with little kids, you know, try to learn how to do play therapy with them, keep them um, looking at the screen, paying attention. Our younger staff, like for example, Diana, Clarissa, they're really, you know, this is normal to them to use all these different types of technologies. So the younger staff had to step up and help the older, the other, yeah, the older generation learn. So I feel like it just really taught everybody a lot. We all, none of us walked away without learning something different. How can we do this differently and still provide services for our clients? So this past two years, we've learned so much just having to figure out how to continue our services that were still really needed in our community. And with that, the clients have gone along with it and now they enjoy having Zoom meetings, sessions via Zoom or telephone when they're sick and unable to come in, at least they still have that option to do it at home. Mm -hmm. So that's worked awesome too. Yeah, Charlene runs a lot of community meetings and doesn't ever have to leave her office. (laughs) We have a really amazing counseling department here. So our counseling department has done, before they would have, let's say you'd have no-shows because of, of Survivor didn't have gas money to get gas, to get in her car, to get over here. So now they're having a lot more success rate. I know even in the DVOTI program, because a lot of the perpetrators, they would have to leave their job to go ahead and get here, attend the group. But now they just all log in. We can have successful meetings, sessions for counseling and the DVOTI. And it really saves time and money for a lot of our clients that don't have a lot of resources. So I think that's just been an awesome part of figuring out how to continue to provide services. Also for legal advocacy, they were having a lot of the court sessions via Zoom. So they were still able to do all that. So that was very, very good for the victims Mm -hmm. that were filing their protection orders and stuff like that. So Yeah, we heard a lot of feedback from victims. Being on Zoom was a lot less intimidating for them as far as court hearings instead of being in the same room with somebody that's the perpetrator. And so a lot of clients really shared that being able to do it by phone or by Zoom was actually really helpful for them. So that was interesting as well. 
I would like to know, where do you want your program to be in 5 years, 10 years, 25 years? What are the long-term goals for your program? I think some of our long-term goals that we would love to see is, I know that in the past we've worked hard on trying to get DVOTI, which is our domestic violence offenders treatment interve- treatment and intervention if they would have if they had their own building so that they could then have the perpetrators come in and do their groups and you know it would just be kind of a separate space and it would make things a little bit probably easier the other thing is we would really love to have a community outreach advocate someone that's just focused on getting out there making sure that community members know about the services we offer making sure that they know our services are free and how to get help and also just bringing awareness to domestic violence in general because it's really crazy that a lot of people just don't recognize a lot of the different types of abuse so they don't even know what they're dealing with so if we could have someone just focused on that it would be amazing that's a big dream though but we're we're hopeful yes <laughs> no dream is too big <laughs> <laughs> What do you think is one of the most difficult challenges you've faced helping a survivor? And what do you think could have helped with that challenge? I think every situation when you're dealing with a a survivor is difficult because you know that this person has suffered and, and just dealt with a lot of abuse, you know, whether it's even just from emotional abuse to physical abuse, it's just really hard to see any person suffer violence from someone they care about. I think that we really struggle and have a hard time when we're working with immigrant victims and survivors because there just is not enough services out there to help them. So, for example, like I had explained in our shelter, our main goal is really getting permanent housing for our clients, getting them employment, make sure they can provide food for their children you know, whatever it is that they need. And with when we're working with immigrant survivors, we really struggle because they don't qualify for a lot of assistance. There isn't a lot of funding to help them. So I don't know what the answer is as far as I I wish there was just more services out there that we can connect our clients to whenever we're dealing with immigrant victims, because that is a real challenge for us. Are there any other challenges that you find specific to your community or is that the most prevalent one? I think we're just a lot of the issues that we're having is a lot of substance abuse in our community. So that is a big challenge for us as well. We'll have victims that come in and they're also dealing with substance abuse issues because a lot of times these a lot of times these problems go hand in hand. So um, that's a big issue for us. But I do think as a community, we do have a lot of supportive services for people suffering from substance abuse. And of course, our therapists here do a lot of work with that. But we just don't have enough in New Mexico in general rehab centers where you can take send people to, to have rehabilitation when it comes to substance abuse. So that's another big challenge that we face is when people are to the point that they really need an inpatient rehab, there just isn't enough. How do you think your community could help your program? By not being ashamed to say that there, that domestic violence does exist, by attending our fundraisers, by providing funding for us or donations, just letting the rest of the community know about Erefugio and what we do, what our services are. 
that we do provide free services. And, you know, it's crazy that you'll see people here that have lived here 30 years and they still don't know we're up here, <laughs> you know, so, but we're pushing it and, you know, we do, we're getting out there and they are providing a lot of help. We're just one step at a time. I will add a link to their website in the show notes, and then you can give your time or resources to El Refugio Inc. if you're so inclined. Lastly, I want to ask you, what kinds of things do you do to take care of yourself? For me, I really love, I found a new love, so I love kickboxing. So that's something that I just, I love to do. I try to do at least three to four times a week. And so that's been a lot of fun for me. We also, we have a really nice trail area behind our shelter, behind our agency. So we do a lot of walking. I try to get people out to do walking meetings. So we actually walk and talk. So that way we're moving and we're getting some fresh air. So that's always good. And just spending time with our staff here, we do a lot of family style lunches. So everybody brings something and we I mean, we cook up sopapillas, tortillas, enchiladas, everything you can think of here. <laughs> um, but we just, that brings us together and we have music usually, and it just gives us a time to be just who we are and not to be advocates that are having to work with these really tough situations. So that's why we have to exercise <laughs> for self-care. I think that's that's something that we do a lot is just really take care of each other and take time to just be us, not to be the advocates. So that's always fun. We do a lot of bonding. So we laugh a lot. We joke around a lot. You know, even through the tough times, we still will get a laugh out of each other. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. We have a really good time here. That's fabulous. Well, thank you both so much for talking with me today. It was such a pleasure. And is there anything else that you'd like to add information that you feel people should know that we didn't cover? I think it just would be nice if people we have, we're trying hard to kind of get more information out on our social media. So we do have an Our Few Hope Facebook page and anytime there's an Instagram. So anytime there's different events or fundraisers that we're doing, we kind of put the information out there. It also helps us to, you know, that's a really simple way for someone to help Our Few Hope because if we're doing a fundraiser, you know, some people cannot help with that, but you can easily share the post and maybe reach someone else that possibly could. So it's just the Elra Fuho Inc. Facebook page. So if people would go on and like that, that would help us. Um, and anytime, just if people want to reach out, we're always here. If you people have more questions, you know, we're always here. Like I said, it's 24-7, our crisis line. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure to put all of that information in the show notes so that people can have access to your social media pages, your website, your phone number for the crisis line. Is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to add? Just real quick, um, I always try to say to anytime I'm talking, whether it's a podcast, any type of interview, I like people to really understand that domestic violence can affect anyone. So It can be your son, it can be your brother, it can be your sister, it can be, you know, it can be your daughter. So it's, it can reach just about anybody. So I always want people to know that we're here. We're very non-judgmental. We work with males and females and for people just to really reach out to us, because if we don't talk about it, it just keeps happening. So that's kind of the first step. Absolutely. Thank you for adding that. It is very important that people know that information. 
All right. I'm just going to check one more time. Anything else you guys want to add before we <laughs> sign off? I can't think of anything. I don't think so. Thank you so much for just having this time to talk to us and learning a little bit about what we do. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.